I am Emily Lyons. In 2011, without a high school degree and with no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. Since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be utterly lifted and shifted by these people too. All inspiring people are inspired people, so get ready to be inspired. Today, I am joined by my friend, Ron Tite. Ron is the founder of Church and State, a keynote speaker, best-selling author of Think, Do, Say, and publisher of the award-winning humor book, This Is That Travel Guide to Canada. He is also the executive producer and host of the award-winning podcast, The Coup, and not to mention one hilarious human. You are going to love this episode, and if you do, please share it. So I am joined by my friend, Ron Tite this morning. Welcome. Thank you, Emily. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for chatting with me. So I, I know you're a very busy man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all busy, aren't we? I mean, really, we're all busy. It's true. Yeah. So let's jump right in. Tell me sure. who is Ron? What does he do? What's his mission? He's a Gemini. <laughs> Born in 1970. Well, I mean, I, I wear a bunch of different hats, and I think mm -hmm. it's weird that a lot of this stuff through my entire career, I've done like a bunch of interesting things. And you really have. Let's starting with a phys ed degree. Okay. What? Yeah, <laughs> that didn't take. Uh, <laughs> But I did a phys ed degree, worked in the Queen's Business School, spent a little bit of time kind of at the rise, you know, in just the early stages of the internet, kind mm -hmm. of. Um, working with an internet company, and then kind of worked my way into advertising, was an account guy for years, then started kind of exploring stand-up comedy and wanted those two worlds to come closer together. So I moved into the creative department of an international agency called EuroRICG, now called Havas, and then kind of worked my way in up to creative director and executive creative director. And then I launched my own agency in mm -hmm. 2012. And then through that, like the comedy stuff morphed into speaking because I, I don't know it's it's it seems I just got sometimes I got more satisfaction out of the silence that followed the laugh than <laughs> I did from the laugh like I, I don't know I just I felt it's pretty cool to stand up on stage as a comedian and get laughs mm -hmm. to know that you've got the crowd in the palm of your hand and you know but when you can kind of take that power, and I mean, you, know, you use that power for good, not evil, but <laughs> you know, you take that power and you, and if you can actually deliver something that is meaningful, <laughs> and I think that's where it goes up a notch and goes to another level. And so I just started like, oh, I think I just want to speak and I, I can be funny while I speak and I don't have to be labeled a comedian. And so I did that. So now that's what I do. I kind of, I, I, I finished my last keynote of 2019 yesterday not sure when this will air and then uh, so i have that i you know i'm a founder of church and state an agency of 20 people behind this wall right here <laughs> and you know we have uh, clients like uh, manual life and walmart and ab world foods and people like that and then um, advise and most importantly i'm a husband and a father ah <laughs> so yeah, I have a, my wife and I have an almost two-year-old 
And people at home right now, they're doing the math, and they're like, wait a second, he's not born in seven. He's got 50. <laughs> the, so we have an, an almost two-year-old and one on the way. So I'm an old, I'm a granddaddy, daddy. I'm an old <laughs> father. So all those things are coming together into a pretty interesting life. Amazing. What does church and state do? Well, you know, as you can imagine, or well, some of your listeners may not know the, the term, the, how it's used in advertising, but <laughs> over time, that has always been what guided the advertising media ecosystem was something that was referred to as the separation of church and state. And that, you know, if you wanted to run a TV commercial uh, for 60 minutes, and you, you know, for the show, 60 Minutes, and you called CBS and said, we'll run an ad if you do a story on us, they would say, no, 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 that is the separation of church and state. Advertising cannot influence content. And that's the way it was for many, many years. And then, you know, the world is a very different world now. And that, and that what we think, and I certainly saw this in transitioning from traditional advertising to digital advertising and then to content creation, is that now there is no separation of church and state, that it is the unification of church and state, the unification of content and advertising, mm-hmm. and that any ad can be a, considered you know, a piece of content if it's really, really good enough. And any piece of content can actually be an ad if it's responsible enough. Mm-hmm. And both can kind of complement one another. You know, Paw Patrol, is it an amazing TV show for kids? Or is it an ad that's, that drives people to buy toys? Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter because the TV show is great and the toys are great. So that's what we do. We help brands and we help media companies navigate that new unified world of content and advertising to win the battle for time and drive interest and awareness and transactions. And have you found it's changed a lot since you first started the agency? Yeah. I mean, this is part of the entrepreneurial journey. I mean, you know, from, <laughs> mm-hmm. you've started, is it 380 companies now that you? <laughs> 381. 381. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> oh, right. You exited out of that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is part of the entrepreneurial journey. You know, when I started the agency, I actually didn't even want to, I wanted, it's not that I didn't want to start an agency. I didn't know what it was going to be. <laughs> so I had an idea of what, of something I wanted to pursue and the idea was summarized in a line that was brands need to become media properties and media properties need to become brands. And that it was the precursor of the unification of church and state. And I just said, I just want to figure that out. And I don't know what's the best way to do that. Like, I don't know if, if I'm best being a consulting company and consulting to people and helping them navigate that world. Or is it better that I'm a production company and we shoot stuff? And so it just developed as the opportunities presented themselves. And at that point, somebody said, oh, that's content marketing. And I said, oh, this is a, this is a thing? I don't know. <laughs> Damn, I thought I was so unique. And they're like, no, there's an entire world called content marketing. I was like, oh, okay. Well, then I guess that's what we got to do. And then six months in, of me going to clients and saying, you can just create content and organically reach people. And then mm-hmm. Facebook changed the algorithm and you have to pay to play. Mm-hmm. And I stepped back and I went, wait, if we have to pay to play, then that means it's an ad. Mm-hmm. 
so what does that mean for a content agency if everything is an ad? And then we step back and was like, well, what does that mean? And that's how we started to explore this idea of church and state. Hmm. But we didn't, what's interesting is we didn't change the name right. Like the original name of the agency was called The Tight Group. Yes, I saw that. And I just, it got to the point where I was like, I, as speaking started to grow, I did something that it's, it's probably one of the most difficult things for entrepreneurs to do, which is I got out of the way Mm -hmm. and pushed my ego to the side. And (laughs) as you know, that's a massive, heavy ego (laughs) that does not push lightly. (laughs) And I realized that if this thing was going to grow and really do great work, it it was going to do so without major contributions from me (laughs) and that I needed to find the right people. And so I gave up equity which is the, you break the cardinal rule, you never give up equity. I gave up <laughs> equity to bring in people to help run it on a day-to-day basis, to drive the agenda and to grow it. And when the strategy started to change and then we had people with new with equity and stuff, and I was like, I don't want people to call this the tight group as in this is Ron's agency because it's not Ron's agency anymore. This is a, there's 20 people back there and they're working their ass off every day. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, as the face of the agency, which I guess I still kind of am, but it, I was just, I just thought I was getting too much credit for doing work that I wasn't actually doing. <laughs> and that could be very limiting because clients like, you know, individual entrepreneurs don't scale very well. It's true. Yeah. So I thought that was that for the agency to grow, it had to not be associated with Ron, the individual. Hmm. Wow. I don't know if I could do that. No. <laughs> Well, so, you know, it is, it's a trick. Like, I don't know. I mean, Ogilvy was David Ogilvy. And I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many great companies that are, mm-hmm. you know, named after their founders. And they, I just, I don't know. It's just something, it's, it's not a right or wrong answer, mm-hmm. but it was just something that, that I wanted to do. Well, I do love the name though, Church and Say. It's just, it's classic. Yeah. It's strategically it's more sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's interesting is that one of the reasons, one of the other reasons why I wanted to change it was, um, do you know Neil Pesrisha, who wrote the Book of Awesome? No. So Neil's a great guy, and Neil's, and Neil's a really good friend. But we only know each other from the speaking world. Okay. So we were going out somewhere, and I said, well, we'll just stop by the office. And, and this was when it was the tight group. Let's just stop by the office, and we'll head out. And Neil walked in. He walked in the office. He's like, it's a thing. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, like, there are other people. And it's like, it's a business I said, yeah, what did, like, what did you think? He's like, I thought it was just you. I the tight group was just the tight part. And then he said, I think that because a lot of speakers do that, right? And, mm-hmm. and it, they have the one-person corporation, and they call it their name. And he said, I think you're doing yourself a disservice, not only on the agency, but in the speaking world. By calling your company the tight group, it just sounds like it's a one-person operation. And you need more credit for what you've built here. Hmm, and so that, and that was counterintuitive to what I thought initially, which was I want to make sure for biz dev, there's a direct line from Ron Tite, the speaker, to the business that Ron Tite started. And I thought mm-hmm. I needed to have my name in it. Hmm. So your company is largely centered around creativity. The battle for it, the how do we come up with creative ideas? How do we execute creative ideas? How do we do it in a more nimble way mm-hmm. now that the cost of production has come down drastically? How do we distribute that creativity? How do we analyze that creativity? Yeah, yeah, it's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. How do you find your creativity? Well, me personally or the agency? 
both? Well, for me, it's through weed. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> no. Through um, psychedelics. Yeah, 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 exactly. I actually did stand up high once and it was not a, it was not a good experience <laughs> at all. My girlfriend's a stand up comedian. She, yeah, she did it really drunk once and they kicked, they actually, they, they escorted her out. Yeah, it's, not, it's never. <laughs> well, for me, I think the, at the heart of creativity is. Well, there's a couple things. One is that you have to have a perspective beyond the thing that you're being creative about. That you have to, you know, as a quick example, here, as a quick example, one of my favorite lines, and I'll say written, and your listeners, if they're just listening, will see that I'm doing air quotes around (laughs) written. But one of my favorite lines in a campaign that I've created was for the CN Tower, and the line was, above us only sky. And that's such a, as the tallest freestanding structure in the world at that point or, you know, whatever, like that is such a great line, mm-hmm. but the line is actually from a John Lennon song. Mm-hmm. And so I think to you, that, that real creativity is being able to take metaphors and, and to, to kind of bring other aspects of life. So that line, you know, came from a John Lennon song. Mm-hmm. I had to have a, I mean, you don't need to be that culturally aware to know the line, but that's part of creativity is looking at what you can learn from other things. Mm-hmm. How can you look at a completely different industry and learn from that. How can you look at a completely different ecosystem and music and art and have those things influence your thinking? So that's one aspect of it. The second aspect of it is literally there's is to move beyond logic and like here, here's okay. I'll give you a quick example of this. Tell me something, Emily, that you would find in a kitchen. A spatula. Okay, that's a fantastic choice for a couple of reasons. So most people, and I've done that for in speaking groups, I've done it hundreds and hundreds of times. First choice typically is fork. The second cho- choice is typically knife. Can you guess the third choice typically? Spoon. No, it's butter. It's weird. It's totally weird. I don't know why. <laughs> um, so fork, knife, butter. And the reason that those are the, the choices that people talk about when they talk about things they find in the kitchen, especially when you ask somebody when they're surrounded by 300 colleagues, mm-hmm. is that they're the most logical, mm-hmm. they're the safest, they directly answer the question, and they're the first thing that pops, pops, into, in, that pops into your head. Mm-hmm. Now, if they're the first thing that pops into your head, they're probably the first thing that pops into everybody else's head. Mm-hmm. And so they're not unique. They're not interesting choices. They don't cut through because everybody is thinking the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And so when you push yourself to eliminate the easy choices, you consciously do it. And in comedy, we call it third choice. It is, a, it is an improv game. You say, you know, there once was a boy and his name was Steven. Second choice, force yourself. Oh, uh, Bobby. Okay, what's your third choice? And when you push yourself into that third choice, that's when you get you get sweaty palms and you're like, ugh, geez, uh, I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and you and you panic and you go, Mary. Oh no, what do I do? Right? Like, yeah, that's an amazing third choice. It's not wrong. Mm-hmm. It could be a young boy whose name is Mary. Now that's mm-hmm. a way more compelling and interesting choice to make. And all you need to do is justify the choice. His name was Mary because his real name was Marlon and he was a Marlon Jr. And they didn't want to call him Marlon, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So if you consciously push yourself beyond the logic, then you get into a zone where you don't know what to do and you don't know what to say. That's when you get creative. Mm -hmm. And the people that reason, the, the reason that people 
say they're not creative is because they don't like being in that zone where they don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. And, and they don't like the, being in the zone where the choice Mary would be ridiculed and laughed at by other people. Mm-hmm. And, and they don't like being in the zone where they can't accept their own logic. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where the interesting choices really come. So and there's nothing more frustrating than people who say, oh, you know, and I used to get this a lot when I was doing kind of corporate comedy more, but they come up and they go, that was so clever. You know, and they pat your head and they like <laughs> it. It's, you know, the way you do that. And, <laughs> but the way they were talking about it was as if there was this divine, you know, talent that somebody was getting. And certainly there are people who are, you know, naturally talented, mm-hmm. but there's a, a, a lot of it that is, it's actually doing the work. Like you sit down and you go, that's not funny. And you just keep going and you keep going until you find the funny or you keep going until you find the creative answer. And typically I find that if you're faced with a problem, that there's two aspects of the creative solution. One aspect is the actual easiest and most direct mm-hmm. and that nobody would pick that because it's the easy choice. Like, no, that can't be the right answer. Or it's the one that goes completely outside the rules and it's like nobody would ever say that or nobody (laughs) would ever do that. And you go, then that's the reason to do Mm -hmm. it. You know, and that's where you catch people off guard and that's how you cut through when they go, no brand would ever say that they suck in their (laughs) own ad, right? And you're like, no, that that, that cuts through. Mm -hmm. Wasn't it that, that, was it Enterprise? who did that famous ad where they were the best at being number two? Oh, no, that was uh, Avis. We Try Harder. That was the whole platform. It's always been that platform for Avis, which was that, you know, we try harder because we're in second place. And second place always tries harder mm-hmm. in first place. Snapple also was famous for doing uh, stuff called, where they called themselves, we're number three. And behind <laughs> Coke and Pepsi, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and they, I remember a famous spot of them like, we made it. And there was a big parade and like, we're number three, we're number three. <laughs> and that, you're right, right? That's such a great example. Like nobody would ever say that. And mm-hmm. then when somebody does, it really cuts through. And I think it's way more authentic. Mm-hmm. And just, it, it sticks in your mind. Yeah. Is that sort of what your book, Think Do Say, is about? No. No. My first book was called Everyone's an Artist, or at least they should be. And that was kind of in that zone. And the premise of the first book was we are all actually artists, you know, that we we grow up as children. And, you know, I mean, I can only imagine the seven year old Emily Lyons, you know, (laughs) in Stratford, Ontario. No, yeah, Stratford, right? Yeah, yeah, Stratford, Ontario, you know, kind of just getting loving doing the macaroni on a paper plate, (laughs) expressive art. But as kids, we loved doing that, right? We loved expressing ourselves and and we loved singing and we loved playing. And then somewhere along the line, we're like, oh, I suck as a singer. And now as adults, most people will go like, oh, I can't sing. Mm -hmm. Really, you don't have the vocal ability to sing. I'm pretty sure you do. Mm -hmm. 99.9% of the people can actually sing a song. They just think they're not very good. Mm -hmm. And so they say they can't sing. So I think we are all artists and we all have to tap into that. It just gets beaten out of us as adults. That's funny because yesterday I I had a talk with this artist, Demetra Milan, who I I love her work. And she's 20 years old, but she 
she went viral when she was 15. Um, her art just like skyrocketed, selling for 20,000 a painting and featured in Vogue and everywhere. And, and I was really drawn to her work for a number of reasons. But when I talked to her yesterday, she's a, a daughter of artists and she has three siblings and their entire family is artists wow. and like phenomenal artists. And she was saying that, you know, everybody, everyone has the capability to become an accomplished artist. And it's just, you know, immersing yourself and, and yeah, going outside of feeling weird and not being afraid to just keep trying new things and doing it over and over and over again. And to me, that was mind blowing that I was like, all four of them, like three sisters and one son are all professional artists and both the parents. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, what's funny about that is I'd love to be, to meet the like, cause normally it's the, the artist is the freak of the family. Yes. But in that family, it's like, who's the freak? And like, it's our company, he's an accountant. I know he's totally weird. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's, it is really just when I work with some uh, speakers on finding the funny, what I will tell them is you have to pan for silver, but you work for gold. Like there is, you need to search for an insight of something that makes you go, huh, okay, there's something there, right? It's either there's something in this idea, there's something in this headline, there's something in this book title, there's something in this joke. I don't know what it is exactly yet, but there's something there. Mm-hmm. That's the silver. And then you work it, 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 until it gets to gold. And that for me is a really, really fun process. And when I do a speech, you know, I mean, it's for speakers, professional speakers, it can be an expensive budget item. And so I think you really have to balance out this, look, I'm delivering pure gold to this audience. And it's only pure gold because it has been worked. It is tried. It is tested. It is true. Mm-hmm. I know gold material and I need to give you the gold material delivered in a way that, yes, it's the first time it's being delivered. But you all know that I've, I've perfected this story, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I need to, you need to balance that because that's really what they pay for along with I'm in the middle of getting some other, a couple of other things that are in the speech that aren't quite gold yet, but they will get there. And so every audience, I think they don't know that they're playing this role, but every audience and every customer or every client in other business scenarios is actually subsidizing future clients or audiences and they're also getting the benefit from e- previous audience who have subsidized their experience. Mm-hmm. So it's like 95% of this content is gold. You're going to love it. I know it because it's worked before. And then there's 5%. You're like, I'm trying this. This is some new stuff. And it's not quite there yet, but it will get there. So there must be times then when, you act, when you're, just, you're just stuck creatively and you just... Yeah. And I think the best way to do that is to remove yourself from the situation. If you're writing, you need to stop writing and (laughs) you need to walk away and go for a walk or you need to need to do something completely different or you need to change the environment. The tricky part of that is sometimes we, I think sometimes people will claim that they're in a writer's block or in a creativity block when in fact it's just an excuse because they don't want to do the work. Oh, yeah. You know, and they're, they're trying to justify. And so, you know, people talk about, and we'll come, to, we'll come back to think to say, but now people are like, man, you have like a, you know, your son was 
one, not even one, when you started to write this and you're traveling all the time, how did you write this book? <laughs> and my typical response is, writers write. That's what they do. <laughs> and they don't need a cabin at the woods, you know, in the woods to write. They don't need the perfect spatial conditions in order with the dream catcher hanging from the window mm -hmm. and Paco Bell's cannon playing. The, you know, like, no, you sit down, you're on a plane, you open your laptop, you start to write. That's what you need to do. And so it is that balance of like, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write here. I'm not really like what I'm doing. Get out, come back with, no, sit down, shut up and start cranking because that's, mm -hmm. what, that's what you're here to do. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Makes sense. So now, think, do, say. So think, do, say. So think, do, say was in response to a couple of different frustrations that I had. One was that I, I felt that there was a business ecosystem that wasn't being addressed, that everyone was talking about the attention thing of people not paying attention, busy, 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 and 5,000 messages a day and all that kind of stuff. And so there was a lot of time being spent on how do you win attention, but not enough time on how do you build trust. So winning attention is easy, right? I mean, you can do, there's a million different things that you can do to win attention. Bold, you know, streak across a football field naked, <laughs> right? That wins attention mm -hmm. and it's not violent. But that doesn't actually serve your purpose to just win attention mm -hmm. because you have to continually win attention. And how you do that is by building trust. So that was the one, the first thing. The second thing was that I thought that a lot of businesses and individuals and thought leaders were trying to take and game the system. They were trying to take the easy way out, that they were trying to hop to the end point and establish going like, okay, so what do I need to do? Oh, I just need leads. Okay, so I'm going to go to a LinkedIn lead farm thing and I'm going to generate leads. And you're like, that doesn't work. You're just trying to game the system to get the lead, but that lead isn't going to trust you. What about the 99,000 other people, the innocent bystanders that you mm -hmm. pitch slapped by just trying to get the lead? So I just thought there's, we're overthinking it. Digital was supposed to be the be all end all. We were all supposed to live in this beautiful world where we got exactly what we wanted when we wanted it targeted at us. Mm -hmm. And the result was a complete shit show. Mm -hmm. And that we're just completely inundated with messages that aren't relevant. We're not inspired by the leaders and we had to simplify it. And I, when I looked at, so what does actually make a great leader? What does actually make a great business? It was those three words and the very simple approach. It is based on what you believe, what you think, what is your purpose and what you believe in beyond the thing you sell. Secondly, what do you consciously do to reinforce that belief? Mm -hmm. And then the third part, and it is the third part, not the second part. You don't say it before you do it. Whereas a lot of people inverse them. I'm going to talk about it and then I'm going to do it. Uh-uh. Mm -hmm. That doesn't build trust. Build trust is you talking about something that you've already done or that you do on a regular basis. But the say part was like, if you actually do believe in something more important and you behave in a way that reinforces that belief, that's actually something worth talking about. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to talk about it, then you should probably talk about it in an authentic and interesting way. So that was the approach, What is, which is like, let's just stop overthinking this. Let's get back to business basics. This isn't actually rocket science. Believe in something that goes beyond what you sell. Mm -hmm. Actually behave in a way that reinforces the belief and talk about it in an authentic way. And surprisingly and amazingly, over time, you will build a business. You will build followers. You will build influence. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to happen overnight. But the slow and steady, because uh, we're 
We're here for a long time. Let's play the long game. Hopefully. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I was watching one of your, your videos and it was saying, um, the headline was, our competition is everybody out there expressing themselves. Yeah. Yeah. If the, the brands, if you consider, for example, that let's say I'm the Globe and Mail and I have a tech section. And in the past, uh, that's who I went to for the great content, right? Was they had staff writers who didn't have the bias of a sale and everything else. And, they, they, and so that's where, I, that's where I went for my content. And now, I don't know, who would you rather listen to about tech? A staff writer who just writes mm-hmm. or a researcher who's within the halls of Microsoft mm-hmm. who's actually creating stuff? Mm-hmm. Well, they got way more credibility. 100%. You know, and, and so... So now the Global Mail is competing against Microsoft. And now we're in that zone. And then you add in the third piece, which is, well, the problem with, with the Global Mail is that they don't have the experience. The problem with Microsoft is that they have a sales bias. Mm-hmm. And so now we bring in, oh, whose content am I actually consuming that is actually honest and not biased and a little bit more relevant to me? It's the content that my friends are cranking out. Mm-hmm. And it's the content that, you know, if my wife it's, has taken a video of our son, I'm going to watch that over everything else. Mm-hmm. If my friends send me, you know, a list of activities, I'm going to look at that stuff. If I've been invited to a friend's book launch party, that takes over me going to Now Magazine to look at what's on and theater that night. And so we're actually, you know, people used to vote with their wallets and now they vote with their time. Mm-hmm. And so... If you buy that, that we're competing for time, mm-hmm. then what fills our time more and more and more? It's stuff from our friends and our families and our colleagues. And then I guess at the end of the day, we're like, I guess we don't have time to read the newspaper. Mm-hmm. So what do you recommend that, that those companies do to break through them? Higher church and state. <laughs> 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 well, there's a couple of things there that... We can't pitch slap people. We mm-hmm. can't constantly put this, the ask for the sale because you know most often I'm not in the zone of wanting to be asked for the sale. And you know I I wrote about it in the book. I can't remember I can't remember who said the line. I feel stupid now. But the line was you know people read what interests them, and sometimes that's ads. So you have to be worthy of any piece of communication from anybody. Mm-hmm. From 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 you, from me, from from a, a traditional content company, from a big brand, we're all on the same level. The playing field has been leveled. We all have to be interesting enough, relevant enough, credible enough, and valuable enough mm-hmm. that people will sit down and go, "Yeah, I actually want to watch this." <laughs> and if I'm if my car lease is coming up in three weeks and I'm looking for a new car, then the car content is going to bubble up in terms of importance for me, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to like, I may be more open to be watching and reading and listening to car content because I know I've got a purchase or a, you know, a decision to make in, in the next coming weeks. But if I'm three weeks into a car lease, <laughs> sorry, there's, way, there's other stuff that's way more important to me. So we're all competing for that time. So that, that we just like, you're competing against everybody. So be good enough to win that time. Mm-hmm. And really, you should just think, do, say. Yes. Think about <laughs> it, do it, and talk about it. <laughs> you really apply that to anything. 
Yeah, you know, look at Lady Gaga as an example, right? Lady Gaga, what does she think? She doesn't believe that she should be a great singer. That's not how she defines herself. She does not define herself by the product she sells. She also does not define herself by the job title that many people have given her. She does not define herself by the box that many people have said, oh, we know your type. You belong over here. So what does she really believe? Lady Gaga, in her words, Lady Gaga believes that people should be free to express themselves. So what does she do to reinforce that belief? Well, she does a couple of things. One, she consciously chooses to express herself in a variety of different ways. Mm-hmm. The point that we don't know what to call it. Is she a singer? Is she an actress? Is she an interpretive dancer? Is she a choreographer? Is she a composer? CEO. Is she a freak? She, or she has a, a makeup line out now. She's a makeup line, right? So that, and that's the perfect example, which is called uh, House of Gaga, right? No, what's, mm-hmm. the, what's the makeup line? it's called line? House of Gaga. House. It's called House. That's right. Mm-hmm. So- if she was only defined her purpose as being the best singer in the world, she never does that. Mm-hmm. But by believing something more important, that people should be free to express themselves, now she's able to diversify her portfolio mm-hmm. of doing a whole bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. And she challenges herself that if she lives, she has to live up to this idea of the thing she believes in. And people laughed at the whole, she wore a dress made out of deli meat. Mm-hmm. And the reason was like, look, if I'm out there saying that people should be free to express themselves, I have to inspire people to express themselves. And th- if there is somebody out there who for some reason, without hurting anybody else, wants to wear a dress made out of deli meat, they should be able to do it. So if I do the most ridiculous things and set the bar that high, then anything else, anybody else can do something that's acceptable. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how she inspires people. And then so what is she, you know, she thinks that she does it. What does she say? Well, she says it in her own unique way. You know, I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. <laughs> I don't love the music. I don't mind you. I don't love the music. Mm-hmm. And as an organization, as a brand, as a CEO, she's powerful. Mm-hmm. And it's all because of what she thinks, what she does, and what she says. I wonder if this was consciously planned. I think, you know, my, certainly my friend Jackie Cuba would, would be more insightful on the topic. She, she wrote a book called Monster Loyalty, where she looks at really, you know, a little monsters are the fans of Lady Gaga. And she looks at like why those people are so loyal to the Gaga brand. So wow, Jackie, she wrote a whole book about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's great. And so she's very knowledgeable about it. From my superficial analysis, I think there's a couple of things that, that stand out for Lady Gaga. One is that she is, first and foremost, a business person. And yes, her business is expression. Mm-hmm. And that purpose is, uh, overrides everything else. But she knows that there is an opportunity within the business realm for somebody to do that. And she mm-hmm. has studied the business. Mm-hmm. And so every move is a very conscious move. That doesn't make it inauthentic. So I don't know that she... Oh my God, can you imagine if in an interview she said, well, it's all based on what I think, what I do, what I say. <laughs> so, you know, but I think what's great about her is that it was Anderson Cooper challenged her, you know, to say like, yeah, but isn't this whole thing just, you know, a show? And mm-hmm. she said, oh, hear me now. What I am really, really good at is marketing this. <laughs> and I'm an expert in this field. And she's not scamming us. She's very open about it. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what makes her really authentic and what we, why we believe her. And she knows there's a camera there, there's a camera there, there's a camera there. And I'm going to play to those cameras and I'm going to do it in a really authentic way. And by getting my message out to more and more people, is that good for me? Yes. But I don't evaluate that. I don't evaluate the number of little monsters by the number of albums they bought or the number of concert tickets they bought or the number of, you know, the amount of makeup they buy. It's about the community. And enough, if you focus on that, enough of those people will convert. And those that don't, that's totally cool. Because that's not why you're connected to them in the first place. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you must experience this, right? I mean, there's, there are people who love your insights. There are people who love your content, who follow and engage with you. And they're never going to be clients. They're never, they're just, they're not 100%. in a position to hire you. They're mm-hmm. just, you know, but they are certainly part of your community. And you don't, you don't turn away from those people because they don't have a, you know, budget with your name on it. But in focusing on those people, we all know that enough of those people, at some point, they're going to convert. And, mm-hmm. uh, and if they don't, then that's great. Thanks for following along. It's like a little community. Yeah. It just surprises me sometimes, you know, <laughs> like, especially on Instagram. If I, if I get a negative comment from some random person, my followers will all attack them. <laughs> yeah, that's how you know, right? And you don't have to say anything. That's how you mm-hmm. know that your brand is in a really authentic place when other people come to your defense and, and say, well, no, this is actually a, a closed system and you're not allowed in here because we have rules and, um, and you've just tipped your, your, your hand of, of knowing what you believe and you don't, you don't get it. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed in. I find social media is tricky, you know, trying to find the balance between being authentic and still curating something that people want to see. Yeah. Um, I struggle with this. And I think that's what makes you and I, uh, I think, interesting to follow is that we totally accept that this is a struggle mm-hmm. and that we don't always get it right, but know that we want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you do this or not. And if you do, then don't take this in the wrong way because many, 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 many of my very good lifelong friends do this. Okay. <laughs> so, but there's something like that. We've got to the point where we quote ourselves on Instagram. Okay. So I'm personally opposed <laughs> to that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that we as speakers should be putting quotes that we've said and attributing the quote to ourselves in a designed Instagram post. Yeah. Now I'm in the minority on this. I get that. And all my friends who do it, it's not like they're the people who are trying to scam or gain this. They're not, of course. We're all just people trying to do the right thing and do the responsible thing for our audience while at the same time being responsible to our careers and our own bottom lines. Mm-hmm. And how do we suddenly, you know, we, we do want to continue to grow our businesses that allow us to continue to build the community. And there, there just aren't any rules because we're so new into this. Mm-hmm. And we know in very traditional media, there are very specific do's and don'ts. What in the, but in this world, who knows what goes? And some things may work for some people, some things may work for other people. So I think we just got to continue to trust our gut, do what we think is right for our own personal brands, and be honest about the struggle of, of excuse me, simply wanting to get it right. 100%. I saw you posted recently 
In podcasts and interviews, I often get asked, what's the greatest piece of advice you've ever received? Or what's the most important thing you learned in your career? So I'm interested. (laughs) (laughs) You did your research. Intrigued me. (laughs) (laughs) So as you you may remember, that post was uh, me at a dinner last week. I got together with a, a group of colleagues, former colleagues from like, you know, 20 years ago, my very first agency that I worked at, wow. all incredibly wonderful people. And um, the two founders of that agency were Bill Sharp and Tom Blackmore. And I, you know, I did get a lot of lessons from them. Hmm. There are a couple of things I think that worked really, really, that I think were really meaningful to me. One was, if you want to get ahead in this business, just take care of people. And if you just help people, you just solve people's problems and try and help out where you can, um, then just don't worry about the rest. Like the rest will just take care of itself. And those people, enough of those people will convert, enough of those people will come back, you know. And so that, that really is, I've, I've tried to be generous with my time. and, and um, That's um, powerful. Yeah, you know, if you just take care of people and even when you're firing somebody, you know, think about the human being and like just how can, you, how can you take care of that person in this moment where you need to, you know, part ways. So that was one. I think another one that, I, that has really resonated with me and this was kind of in pitch situations, but Tom said, I'd rather be last than second. And that's powerful when you think about it in that if you're second, if you come in second place, you still lost. When you're in a business pitch, there's no like, oh, you got the silver medal? That's amazing. (laughs) No, it's gold and losers. That's all it is. And so if you're going to lose, and, you know, you'd rather come last than in second because coming in second probably means you took the safe route. You took the logical route. You told them what they wanted to hear. You checked all the boxes. You didn't offend anybody. But there wasn't anything that really got you to the top. Mm-hmm. It really cut through and made you the very clear choice. Now, if you came in last, that means you probably took some risks. Mm-hmm. That means you probably did that you didn't follow logic, that you probably surprised them, that you probably scared them, that you probably did something that they weren't even expecting. And what I know from comedy is that something, the closer something gets to the line, however you want to define where the line is, um, but the closer something gets to the line, the more brilliant it is. Hmm. The problem with that is that it makes the difference between being butting up against the line and going over the line, (laughs) a very subtle difference. (laughs) And so the choice of one word can be the difference between absolutely brilliant and good God, he's never going to work again (laughs) in his life. (laughs) And so if you come in last place, you crossed some line of some sort where Mm -hmm. they were uncomfortable with the decision, but that is always the right choice. Hmm. I think to do really compelling work, that you need to get as close to the line as possible. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's better to come in last than in second. Huh, never thought of that. It kind of reminds me of Steve Jobs a little bit. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, he, he did things that didn't follow the convention. And it started with him building and kind of people who were on the same thinking, right? They wanted to buck the trend. They wanted to go against the man. They want, you know. <laughs> and And what was really interesting was to see that belief system become the majority of people mm-hmm. that nobody wanted to be like everybody else differently. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that my previous agency, our New York office did the campaign for Dos Equis, the most interesting man in the world. 
Hmm. And the key insight on that campaign was that when you go to bars and talk to men, that yes, there is a certain sector and a cohort of men who are your traditional dude. They got the ball cap on backwards. They don't mind seeing babes in bikinis and hanging out on a dock or at a rock concert with their favorite beer in their hand. There is that dude. But there is a cohort that is big enough to sustain a beer brand, that is big enough to drive business. And that group, their biggest fear in going into a bar was that people they talked to would not find them interesting. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that they didn't want them to be seen as manly or as the traditional definition of masculine or cool. It was that they wanted to be seen as interesting and that there was no beer that if they said, oh, I drink, that associated the, the label with being interesting. And so the whole, the, when you put it that way, I think that, you know, Jeff Kling was the creative on that campaign. He did brilliant, brilliant work. But that creative doesn't happen without that stunning insight that people mm-hmm. just want to be seen as interesting. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Like, did, when you go out, do you I think, like, you've got, you've got an incredibly interesting background. That must be the first thing that people lead with like it's funny because people yeah are more interested in my past and struggles and you know the interesting things that i had to go through and and do than they are your origin story (laughs) yeah i mean yesterday i had a an interview that came out and i got so many messages about it because i shared some things that i'd never shared before yeah just like with my past issues with mental health and things like that. I had really bad anxiety. Yeah. And people are just so intrigued by that um, because it's different and outside of the box of what, you know, most people talk about and what they, I guess they think that I would be. Yeah. From. Well, if that it's, I think that is a, a, a secret to success is knowing I think people equate like entrepreneurial often can go like, oh, like this person's got their shit together. Yes. No, (laughs) no, 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 no. Talk to my wife, right? (laughs) There's no shit getting together on the side of the day. There's nothing, you know, and both in personal life and in uh, professional life. I just choose the areas where I need to have my shit together. Mm -hmm. And, but there is a small little fraction of the, the skills that we need to have as human beings that I'm really fully together on. <laughs> Most things in life, I'm a complete mess. And by the way, I'm not saying that having mental illnesses makes you a complete mess. I think it's just like, it's not the, we're not the stock photo version. Nobody, mm-hmm. the stock photo version of what a successful entrepreneur is. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes you real. And that's what makes people want to, I see buy you, they buy you, they get you, they understand yes. you, they want to join they, in. You they know? subscribe to your personal brand. And that's one of the things, I mean, because when we do PR for CEOs or, or business leaders themselves, we try to dig out these stories because everybody does have a story and a lot of people just have never considered sharing it, you know, and it's often connected in some way to the business and how it's been built or why it's been built. And it's, you know, and once we bring that out, that's what gets people's interest. That's what gets them printed in the media and the eyes, but in a good way. Yeah. And I think, isn't that, it's, I think it's great that we're finally having those conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me, because that's what, 
It's one thing to say, hey, we're all real people, and that happens. But we're finally making the link to, no, no, but actually being open and vulnerable enough to talk about it Mm -hmm. is what leads to success. Mm -hmm. That's the important part. Mm -hmm. And that if you can't have an honest conversation with yourself, it's not going to happen with your staff. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the most honest things I've ever done was three weeks ago, I stepped down as CEO. Mm-hmm. And I sat down with our team, uh, with my partners, and said, I have the title of CEO, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not acting as CEO. I'm never here. I'm on the road speaking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, our say is not lining up with our thinking or do. And my biggest fear was that it's not that I don't care what clients think, but I'm, what's more important, I think, is what our team thinks. And I didn't want people eye rolling and going like, yeah, CEO, whatever, he's never here. So I just said, Let, let's, we need to align and to have that honest conversation. I'm not, I'm the founder. I'm not the CEO. Don't act like a CEO. And quite frankly, if we're all honest with ourselves, I don't want to be the CEO because <laughs> I'm not good at that. I think that's a part of entrepreneurialism and at its core is, you know, typically entrepreneurs like to start stuff, not finish stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we need people to help us finish them so that we can get on to the next thing. <laughs> yes. Would you agree? Yes. <laughs> that's an I'm guilty laugh. Right? 100%. So now, where can people find more about you and your books and all that jazz? Well, they can go to my slightly outdated website, rontite.com, <laughs> and uh, they can check out the agency at churchstate.co. Or they can look at the book. Uh, books is available uh, in a whole bunch of different places. Uh, wherever you get your books, in all forms, Kindle, audio, everything else, it is Think to Say. And there's a podcast that we've done with Rogers, uh, Frequency Podcast Network, called The Coup, which looks at disruption through the lens of political coup d'etats, of how the establishment is being taken out by insurgent forces in music and comedy and business and and personal lives and stuff like that. But the only deal on that is that your listeners have to catch up with your podcast. They <laughs> talk over and listen to something else. So it's COO, right? The coup. Uh, it's, no, C-O-U-P. Oh, oh, the coup. coup. Yeah, okay. as, in, as in the coup d'etat. Uh, okay. Uh, it's a French word. <laughs> Je suis Demorel. The coup. Oh, that I said I was born <laughs> in Montreal. <Sorry. laughs> ah, okay. Je suis Demorel. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. You are phenomenal. As are you. Thanks, Emily. Thanks for having me. And thanks to everybody for listening. (laughs) 